Uh, we gather aware that uh, yet another uh, mass shooting has uh, happened in our country. Unique to our country is this ideation and idolatry of uh, weapons of war uh, that, that saturate the streets. Um, and, and on a very night when we are here to recognize and uh, you know, openly admit our own mortality, uh, this reality comes crashing down on families uh, in ways that nobody was prepared for. Uh, as the numbers continue to grow of those injured and uh, critically and apparently some children among them. So, God, forgive us. God, save us. A while back, uh, it was five or six years ago, I was listening to the On Being podcast with Krista Tippett. It's just wonderful if you've never listened to it. And she was interviewing the actor uh, Martin Sheen and about his faith. And that, that's what the podcast tends to deal with. And, uh, and uh, he, he, I thought, gave a, just a lovely insight to, um, he was, they were talking about you know, evenings like this, services like this, where people come forward to receive the sacraments, Holy Communion, or to receive the imposition of ashes. Uh, and uh, this is what Martin Sheen said during that interview. He said, how, how can we understand these great mysteries of the church? I don't have a clue, he said. I just stand in line and I say, here I am, I'm with them the community of faith. This explains the, the mystery, all the love. Sometimes I'm just overwhelmed, just watching people in line, he said. It's the most profound thing. You just surrender yourself to it. I thought that was insightful and, and, and beautiful. Here I am, I'm, I'm with them, uh, the community of faith. As we speak, uh, seek during this uh, season of Lent to experience and also offer shalom in our lives as part of our walk through Lent together, we pray for well-being. We pray for healing in this broken world, in this broken nation. Uh, we pray for well-being intellectual, emotional, relational, physical, spiritual. These are uh, the weeks we will move through on these Wednesdays together. We are reminded that we do not go alone. We go as part of the community of faith. And it is not some kind of holiness contest, these Lenten practices, this ancient Liturgy, when you pray, uh, don't show off about it, Jesus says in the Gospel from Matthew that Katie read. And when you fast, don't look for pity or some kind of credit from others. When, when she was reading that Gospel, I heard it for, kind of 
for the first time, it's the first time I really took notice of it, when Jesus says, don't blow your trumpet in the streets before you give your alms like the hypocrites do. And I'm thinking to myself, did people really do that? Did they, did they go out into the street and like, and then so everybody would look and see them giving their offering? It just struck me. Um, and when you pray, don't show off. When you fast, don't, don't disfigure yourself and look for pity. Support one another. Recognize that we are dependent on one another. Now, I turned 60 last year, so there's more than a few of us in and around my, uh, my age group, and, and you might know that one of the things you look forward to when you reach these milestones is uh, not, not my first, but my second uh, colonoscopy. When you, <laughs> when you get to uh, 50, they usually suggest, and for some people, because of family history or whatever the case might be, uh, start even earlier. But generally, 50 is the first, right? 60 is the second. Thank you for nodding along with me. I know this is super weird to talk about in the uh, Ash Wednesday sermon, but I do so for two reasons, really. One is a kind of public service announcement. Uh, you should do it. Uh, it's not a big deal. Uh, yes, the, you know, the preparation, it's all a hassle. And, uh, but you can do it, and it's important, and, and you should do it if you know, you're coming up on one of those times. So that's one reason. The other reason is I use this as a way to sort of get at this idea, this reality, I'll say, that I am dependent on others. I actually... I think about this a lot, and I, I appreciate the reality that I am essentially helpless in this world. I mean, there's almost nothing I know how to do outside of what I'm doing right now. You know, I, if something breaks in the house, if there's something that happens to my car, yes, like, you know, all men, I open the hood and I look in there and pretend like I'm going to fix something, you know, hoping that some giant hose has sprung a clamp and it's just sticking straight up in the air so I can just put it back and fix it. But of course, that's not generally the case. I need a mechanic. I need uh, a plumber. I need an electrician. I need, I need, I need somebody at every turn. Uh, and so when it comes to these kind of medical procedures or if you need to go to a clinic or a hospital, such as I recently did, there is a kind of humility that um, follows you in there uh, when they take your clothes from you and give you that flimsy robe that you tie in the back. And then you see a series of medical professionals. And the, the first was a, a, a young nurse, happened to be a young lady about the age of our daughters. And, and you know, she had to process me in and put all this information on these forms and I and as she did you know some of it's a little embarrassing more for her me than her I suppose I don't know but she did it with such grace and humor and giggled when she had to ask me a question that you know a 20 something doesn't want to have to ask a 60 year old guy she's never met before right she just did it so gracefully and I just I, I was sitting there sort of outside of myself thinking look at you you know um I so appreciate what it has taken for you to get to where you are and what you're doing. And 
I like the fact that in this situation, I am wholly dependent on you. Then came in uh, the anesthesiologist, anesthesiologist who was going to tell me, you know, the process, what he was going to do and how he was going to knock me out and wake me back up. But we found some topic that we had in common and for 15 minutes we just talked about that until he realized we, he was well over the time he was allotted to spend with me and asked me if I had any questions and I said, nope. I, we didn't talk about anything he was going to do to me or how it was going to work. But I was thinking to myself, that's the kind of guy right there I would like to have my life in his hands. That guy who took the time and had the compassion and the humanity to care about me and get curious and engage. And then came the doctor, and, and he, he was a little bit more straightforward, but he was clearly professional. He wanted to let me know how the things go and, and, and find out if I had any questions. And he was there when I woke up to tell me, among other things, uh, you're going to have to do this again uh, because there's a kind of thing that I can't deal with, but somebody else has to do it. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, and the whole thing, all wrapped up with these people reminding me that in this situation, I have to trust God, that God's with me, and God tends to show up through other people, right? And that uh, my life is in the hands of these compassionate, accomplished, gifted children of God. I, so I try to use these types of things to empathize with people. And some of you are here. Uh, others are with us online who spend so much time in hospital settings. And it's not always for things so uh, relatively trivial as this. And I think to myself, when I've got one of those flimsy robes on and I'm in the system and I'm kind of helpless, and a little bit anxious. This is what it feels like for so many people, so many of our people, and so often. Uh, I make sure the medical professionals caring for, for me know how much I appreciate their humanity and their giftedness and their expertise. And I've often spoken about how this aspect of our vision trips to Tanzania for instance, is so important. Um, the fact that, you know, we literally are putting our lives in the hands of, of, of close friends that have become close friends over the years, but friends who actually grew up in homes made out of sticks and banana leaves and cow dung. I mean, that's where they really grew up. Their mom built the house and my life is in your hands because we are so far out in the wilderness that I couldn't possibly find my way back home from here. And we drive on such rough roads and I'm so tired sometimes that I'm nodding off while you're driving us along these crazy highways or rough dirt paths and my life is in your hands. Friends who grew up living in the dust and the ashes of East Africa 
Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I can't do this life alone. I can't do this faith alone. Here I am. I'm with them. The community of faith. So our Gospel reading from Matthew 6 strikes a lot of preachers as odd. It sometimes feels on Ash Wednesday that Jesus tells us not to practice our piety visibly and not to disfigure our faces publicly on the very evening that we come forward to do this super strange thing of disfiguring our faces with some ashes publicly. But maybe at least part of what we are actually doing on this day is saying that I'm with them, the community of faith, sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. If we're baptized, this mark of the cross is made on our foreheads then. This evening, if you choose to receive the imposition of ashes, the cross is made with ash in the same place. The first cross does not cancel out the second one, but it lays a promise over it, over our dying. So I encourage you to take a moment, linger before the mirror, at least for just a moment, before you wash off the ashes, you receive them tonight to ponder that you have just been marked with the horror and the hope of Jesus' cross. Now, there's a hymn, probably no hymn that captures this paradox better than Isaac Watts' great hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Sorrow and love flow mingled down, he writes. Sorrow and love, horror and hope, tragedy and justice mingled down. Our violence and our forgiveness there on that cross. Our dying and our hope. For, Paul writes, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the promise that is laid over the cross we receive tonight. Did air thorns compose so rich a crown? At Queen Elizabeth II's coronation all the way back in 1952, the Archbishop of Canterbury placed St. Edward's crown on her head. That crown is now passed to her son. It was hers to wear all the way until her death in 2022. And that crown was heavy, forged with 200, or forged with 22 karat gold with 444 precious stones, aquamarines, topaz, ruby, amethysts, sapphires. Well, when she knelt to receive the body and blood of our Lord at her coronation, I wonder did she ponder the very different crown that was placed on Jesus? I wonder, do we? 
My richest gain I count as loss. For where your treasure is, your richest gain. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus says in our Gospel reading. So we go forward on our way to survey the wondrous cross which rises in the distance on the other side of this Lent we will walk through together, praying together for wholeness and healing and wellness, intellectual, emotional, relational, physical, and spiritual. Here I am. I'm with them, the community of faith. Seen. Shalom. This Ash Wednesday blessing is by Kate Bowler. God, today my finitude is rubbed on my forehead. The reality of my limits, my fragile body, spoken over me like a curse. From dust I was made, to dust I will return. Some days I need to be reminded that I am not the perfectibility project I set out to be. I am full of bounce and brimming with hope, all woes solvable, all problems a distant whisper. When I don't feel like dust, bless me, O oh God. In the ways I trick myself into believing my life is something I've made, that all my accomplishments and successes and mastered mornings add up to something independent of you. But on days like today, when my head hangs low, sunk with the grief of my neediness, bless me, O oh God. When my joints don't work like they should, when I grow sick or turn gray too soon, when my body betrays me, or perhaps it is doing exactly what it is supposed to do. Tell me again exactly how you made me, from dust to dust. Blessed are we, a mess of contradictions, in our delusions and deep hopes, in our fragility and finitude. Amen.